Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. ago, you have given up everything, absolutely everything, to follow this rabbi named Jesus. You've given up your job. Though it doesn't pay much, it at least pays the bills. You've also left your family. They're back in the next town over. You have given yourself over completely to him. You have left everything behind to follow this rabbi by the name of Jesus who has claimed to be the Messiah. And with that claim, there are various expectations. Now, going forward three years, this Sunday, this Jesus who you have committed yourself to following for three whole years, day in, day out, living life together, is brought into Jerusalem, being worshipped. Palm branches on the ground, everyone in the city shouting, Hosanna! In sheer joy, that this Messiah was going to be taking over the Roman rule. That Israel was finally going to become a nation again. That Israel was finally going to be returned as God's chosen people. But then the days press on. And by uh, Thursday, we have the Last Supper. Now before where the disciples... We've all been around people who are extremely popular, and you know how you kind of want to attach yourself to them. Hey, I'm with this guy. I'm with this celebrity. That's how, on Sunday, that's how the disciples must have been. This is the Messiah. I'm with this guy. But Thursday comes, and we have the Last Supper. And Jesus tells them once again, I am going to die. Now, this wouldn't have registered with the disciples because the Messiah is not supposed to die. One of the expectations of the coming Messiah was that he would free the Jews from oppressive rule, specifically the Romans. And he was supposed to live forever. He would have no end. So this didn't quite register with them. And then he went so far as to take communion saying, this bread is my body that will be broken for you. And this cup, this is my blood that will be spilled on your behalf. Take it and drink. Now you can imagine the amount of confusion in the disciples' mind. Wait, this Jesus, who has claimed to be the Messiah, that's why we're following him, is now saying he's going to die? This doesn't line up. Now, later on that Thursday, we have Jesus going into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And In that time, about two in the morning, Jesus is taken away by the religious leaders, by the Romans. And at that point, out of fear for their lives, this Jesus who was a few days earlier hailed as the king of the Jews who would redeem the nation of Israel, they now scatter. They now want nothing to do with him because of the danger that he is bringing upon them. Every last one of them scatter. Then Friday, Jesus goes through six trials before various religious leaders and state leaders. 
<clears throat> and in this time, they are not showing up. None of the disciples are following him because of fear. And after these six trials, the final result is the Messiah, the Savior of the nation of Israel, the Savior of the world, being crucified. And not just being crucified, but crucified by the people that he was supposed to deliver the Jews from. The same people who were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, five days earlier are now shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! By Saturday, you can imagine the disciples in utter confusion. We gave everything to follow this Jesus. We've lost everything. This Messiah wasn't supposed to die. And to make it worse, our enemy has killed him. But on Sunday, Jesus rises from the dead, proving to be the Messiah. Once again, the disciples believe, and they become ecstatic. This Jesus not only will live forever, but he has risen again and conquered death. You can imagine the excitement on their faces. We were right. This long-term investment, this three-year long-term investment, if you will, is going to pay off. We are with the right guy. Jesus goes along appearing for the next 40 days to various other people, again, to prove that he is risen, to prove that he is the Messiah. Because again, the Messiah is supposed to be eternal. It's supposed to live forever. But then at the end of day 40, as, it, as Rob read earlier, at the end of 40 days is where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 1. He goes on to say, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? After 40 days, after Jesus has conquered death, after Jesus has proved himself to be the Messiah, they're now like, Jesus, you have done it. You're the right guy. You are the Messiah. Will you at this time bring about what we're expecting you to do? Are you going to bring the end times, your people be glorified along with you? And what is Jesus' response? He says, in picking it up in verse uh, 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that, Je that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, Jesus doesn't exactly answer the question. They say, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he says, it's not for you to know. I'm not going to answer that question, but while you are waiting, you are to be my witnesses. And we'll go more into what it means that we are his witnesses. But the disciples are called to be witnesses on behalf of what Jesus has done. Now, at this point, he goes on to say, and when uh, he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now picture this. This Jesus that you've been following for three years, he dies. You're devastated. 
this Jesus, this Messiah you've given everything up for is a phony. He isn't going to live forever. In fact, he's dead now. But then he rises from the dead. You're ecstatic. Jesus is now going to bring the kingdom of Israel. We are now going to be freed from oppression. And then he says, I'm not com- this is not my second coming. I will be coming again. And all of a sudden, he starts ascending into heaven. Now, imagine the confusion on their faces. This kingdom of Israel was supposed to be coming now, as far as they're concerned. They are so incredibly confused. They must be like, Jesus, you must be mistaken. Where are you going? This is the time. This is You are to fulfill and redeem the nation of Israel. And he's gone. This Jesus they've been following for three years is not to be seen anymore. But there is hope. After that, we see in the next couple of verses the angels come and they reveal that Jesus will not only come, but he will come in the same way that he has left. Now, I can picture in the midst of this confusion, in the midst of this sadness, just pondering, he's going to come back. I don't know why he didn't come now. But then that faint voice in the back of their head, remembering Jesus saying just a couple weeks earlier, it is to your advantage that I go away. In John 16, in verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus speaking. It is to your advantage that I go away. But what does this mean? In what way is it to our advantage that Jesus has left us on earth, himself ascending to the Father in heaven? This is exactly where we enter the story. This is exactly where we are. Just as the disciples witnessed Jesus leaving and are now living in the period of time between Jesus' ascension and his second coming, that is exactly where we are. We also are just as much awaiting the return of Christ. So, it is to your advantage that I go away. In what ways is this our advantage. Because if it's to the disciples' advantage, we are in the same period. We are given the same commands. In what way is it to our advantage? The first way that it is to our advantage, we carry on in John 16, verse 7. He says, Nevertheless, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I do go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You see, the first advantage that we have in Jesus rising from the dead is that Jesus will send the Spirit. If Jesus didn't go back into heaven, he wouldn't have sent the Spirit. But why would we want the Spirit instead of Jesus? Because the Spirit is indwelling instead of external. Whereas Jesus could preach to the disciples, Jesus could preach to the lowest of the low, Jesus could preach to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it still wasn't made real to them. It says multiple times in scriptures that they did not understand because it had not been revealed 
to them. They did not have the Spirit of God working inside of them. The second reason that that it works to our advantage because Jesus will send the Spirit is that we can more greatly understand the things of God. Again, going off of the previous point, we cannot understand the things of God apart from God. We need his indwelling Holy Spirit. Another reason is that Jesus was human. When Jesus came down to earth in the form of a baby, he laid down the God card. He was confined to one body in one place. If Jesus was in Galilee and there were sick people in Jerusalem, he could travel over there, but he was limited by space and time. But what does it say in John 16, verse 8? He says, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He's not, con- he's not constrained to one specific city. He will convict and work in the lives of the world as a whole. Another reason that it works to our advantage that Jesus goes away is that because now that Jesus is up with the Father, Jesus now functions as our high priest and our heavenly mediator. Jesus is now our high priest, as Hebrews 4.14 says, because Jesus offered the perfect sacrifice for our sins. The high priest was called once a year to give offering, to give offering to cover the people's sins, to cover the guilt, so on and so forth. We're all familiar with the Levitical codes and the uh, sacrifices that needed to be made. But because of Christ's sacrifice, he functioned as the sacrifice as well as the high priest. But also he is our heavenly mediator. Romans 8.34 says that no one can condemn God's people because Jesus died, rose again, and intercedes for us. Jesus is the reason that we do not have a temple, and he is the human high priest. He is the reason that we don't need to go to confession because he is the one that intercedes on behalf of us to the Father. Another reason that it works to our advantage that Jesus leaves is so that he can prepare a place for us. John 14, 2 says, I go to prepare a place for you. Before that, prefacing it with, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Remember, Orange County, California, is not your permanent home. This is but a shadow of what Christ is preparing for you. This is a temporary home. Now picture this. Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect, the only perfect being in the universe. And then we have the Father as one, as a family, in perfect unity. They are separated for 30 years. Imagine the task that was put before Jesus. I need you to go into the world, lay down your God card, and die for these wicked people that we love. And in accomplishing that, you will be brought back to me. Now, the closest earthly example that we can think of probably is, say, a husband and wife. A husband goes off to war. He loves his wife and his family so incredibly much. And he loves his country so incredibly much. 
but because it's his job and because he feels the responsibility to go and defend his family and his country, he goes out and does such. Imagine the reunion that that husband and wife has after a couple years maybe of separation. Now magnify that by the biggest number that you can think of because God is infinite. Jesus is infinite. And their reunion is the greatest reunion that could ever take place. And not only does Jesus get to join in that reunion with the Father, but he has brought us along as adopted sons and daughters into his kingdom. Now, it goes on to say, or this is not where the story ends, along with him leaving. He also says that he will come back. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. So again, this is not our permanent dwelling place. Live for something bigger. Now it says in Acts, as Rob read earlier, that he is going to return in the same way that he left. And I think that we get an amazing, amazing picture of this in Matthew 24, verses 30 through 31. He will return in the same way as he went, in that he came, or he left in the clouds, and he will return out of the sky, back to earth, to take back what is his. But he will not come as this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. He will not come back as the sheep that is going to be slaughtered. Instead, he's going to, become back, he's going to come back as the reigning king, as the lion to conquer the world. This Jesus, through his ascension, has been made king, has been lifted up into glory along with the Father. And he won't have a marching band to lead the procession. He won't have a military processional. He will have the angels being his processional. As it says in Matthew 24, verses 30 through 31, he says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. You see, Jesus will come on the clouds, but he will come as the reigning king, the conquering ruler of the world. You see, with his birth, the king arrives on the earth. With his life, death, and resurrection, the king redeems his people and the world. And with his ascension, his going back to the Father, the king rules the earth. If we stop short of the ascension, as we so often are prone to do, the story dies. If we stop short of the ascension, This story is incomplete. So, in light of Jesus' ascension, how are we called to live? How should we then live if Jesus is the reigning king of the world? It says in Jesus' answer, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria, 
and to the ends of the earth. What does it mean to bear witness? Oftentimes, we use the term I'm being a witness with sharing the gospel, right? That's what bearing witness to Christ and what he has done is. That is the gospel. But what a lot of people don't know is that the word gospel was not coined by Christians. The word gospel doesn't innately mean telling people about who Jesus is, the work that he's done. The word gospel, what came far before Jesus was even on the earth. The word gospel was a word that means good news. And it was commonly used by those, the messengers who would run from city to city to city to announce the good news that there is a new king on the throne. That we don't have to worry about so-and-so because now this guy's on the throne. This is good news. We are under new leadership. We are those messengers. But the king that we announce to the world is not a human king, is not one that will ultimately be conquered, and he is not one that will eventually die. The king that represents the gospel that we present is eternal, is all-powerful, and is the reigning king and judge of the world. There is no higher calling than to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But this bearing witness does little good if we don't live as if Jesus is king. You see, if we tell people Jesus is alive and Jesus is king, but we live as if Jesus doesn't even exist, what good does that do? That's hypocrisy. And Titus, uh, in his letter, writes on this very subject. In Titus 2, 11 and 12, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, we are in this same exact period. We also are waiting for the return of our great and glorious King Jesus and Savior of the world. Are we living like it? Are we living as though Christ has died, has risen, and has ascended on high to the right hand of the throne of God and will one day judge the world and even now rules the world? See, this verse also tells us exactly how we are to live in light of Jesus' ascension. But why don't we? Why do we still not live as if Jesus is the reigning king? Have we forgotten that Jesus is going to return? Like the church of Thessalonica, Paul writes to them saying, have you forgotten that Jesus is coming back? It's only a couple decades away, and you guys are already living as if he's not, as if he's forgotten that he's coming back. Have we forgotten our mission? Now, I think the disciples pose a very good question. Jesus, will you at this time bring about your kingdom? Why 
did he not bring about the kingdom right then and there? Why did he not use his authority to wipe out the Romans and to bring his kingdom, his heavenly kingdom, on earth at that point? And why is it that in that amount of time we've forgotten that he is the ascended king? 2 Peter 3.9 says that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some count slowness. But it says that he is waiting for every last person that he has called to himself to be saved. You see, if Jesus had come back in the year 30, 30 AD, all of us here who are saved now wouldn't have even existed. The reason that Jesus did not come then is because there are people that he loves, that he wants to come to himself, that have not done so as of yet. Once every person who is of Christ comes to Christ, that is when the return of the reigning king, Jesus Christ, will come. So I ask you, are you living in light of the king? The fact that the king is alive and that the king is coming again. And I also ask, are there some of you here today that maybe haven't put your faith in Christ? That maybe it's you that Jesus is waiting for. Is Jesus waiting for you this day? Have you put your faith in the reigning king? Are you living in light of his ascension? Are you beholding our arisen king? Father, we're in awe of your power and of your goodness. But it's so easy to lose sight of this in our day-to-day routines, in our day-to-day lives. Father, I ask that you would remind us, as though there is no tomorrow, live as if there is no eternity. Live as though you are not the king. Father, I ask that you would not only awaken our minds, but awaken our hearts to know that you are coming back and to know that we have a mission. Father, you have called us to bear witness to you as king, as king who reigns and will reign forever, and there is no higher calling than that. Father, we thank you for entrusting us with that call. We thank you for waiting so that we might be saved. Father, I ask that every person here, that you would bring remembrance to them of who you are and what you've done and work into our lives individually and corporately and help us to behold you as King. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.